to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Can we just give Sean a big hand again? I need a little more room than Daniel here. This is <laughs> I'm a little bigger. I don't know if you've noticed than Daniel. I'm so glad to be here again. I was just uh, texting with Jeremy and Miranda Nelson, uh, who were the ones who introduced me to you guys, and they're doing great. They're actually hosting an outpouring in there in night, like 198, 190 or seven of, of meetings. They've done protracted meetings about five nights a week, and I had, didn't get the opportunity to go until two weeks ago, or maybe even, yeah, it was around two weeks ago. I'm, I'm a little lost in time here. But uh, I was actually ambushed. It's only a room about this big, and I was ambushed by the presence of God. I didn't expect it. I'm, I'm not a person who you know, enjoys going to protracted church meetings. <laughs> I actually love not going to church meetings as much as possible, except for my own church, and, or if I'm preaching. And so like, I, I didn't ever go head down there. And then finally they were doing an event, and I walked in, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I have two options. I could either totally disassociate from how good this feels so I could actually preach, or I'm going to get lost. And I kind of did both. And it was just such an amazing time. And so Miranda, since the outpouring has happened, has launched a fashion line. And she's going to Fashion Week in New York. And she has the fashion being created out of, uh, I believe, Peru or Brazil or something. It's down in South America. And she's been um, getting so much feedback from it that now it's being used in, by several Miss, Imagine, uh, Miss America pageant members. And it's being used on um, being sold in this high-end boutique in New York. So since she started the outpouring, she started to get strategy for the fashion world to brand people with identity through fashion, which I think is so beautiful that, like, in the outpouring, that's very unique to me. The, the last few outpourings that we've had, there wasn't a lot of people who started to take influence in secular culture in a, in a major way. And uh, another thing that's happened is a number of the people are running for political office who have been going to the, uh, the outpouring, and I think that's very interesting as well. So they're having a great time, but uh, they just greeted you guys through me this morning on text as they're about to preach and said to say hi. Um, but it's so good to be here. And, you know, my life right now is so full of spiritual activity that I'm on God overload in the best possible way. And whenever I get time to myself where God isn't putting any pressure on my time, I'm actually grateful. I remember Bob Jones. Some of you know who Bob Jones is, the prophet. He said, it's a great thing on a day you don't hear from God because you actually have a day off. And, and I didn't understand that when I was younger. I was like, that sounds terrible. Why would you ever say that? Like, I want to hear God all the time. But now I realize that everything I hear from God requires work and it requires responsibility. And so I'm like, on the days that, like each thing creates, like it's wonderful, but it creates conversations. It creates work. It creates, you know, and, and all kinds of stuff. So I've had um, a very big season this year and we're heading into November, December and we're, we're asking God not to talk to us for two months. So I'm just kidding. We're, we're just taking two months kind of more off than on. Uh, but I'm so excited about just what God's been doing this year. And I love seeing where you guys are at in this building. I hadn't been here before. This is my first time in this particular building. And just hearing about the team and just some of the vision of what God has for you guys. It's just so amazing to see. You know, I've been here now for, I guess, two and a half, three years. This is my third time here. And uh, it just feels so good. It just feels so healthy and clean. And I love all the new babies and all the new marriages. I was downstairs and Joy screaming over the microphone to the kids and <laughs> preaching to the kids. I was like, she is so alive. I would want her to be my children's minister if I was a kid. I mean, she's amazing. Like, we were two rooms over, and I felt like I was in the classroom. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> I had no idea. She, now I know why she's going after the children of this nation in a major way. Um, because she has that in her... Uh, speaking of that, we did a children's event in L.A. recently. We just did it at the, kind of a last minute because we were doing a curriculum and we wanted to um, just capture some kids and their experiences with God. And so we did. We advertised it, filled up in, I think, two days. But we could only hold 300 kids. And so we were like, okay, this is the thing. Like, kids want to do this. And so we, um, we created a curriculum for 7- to 12-year-olds. For It's for homeschool, Sunday schools. It's also for personal study. We made a workbook just for kids of that age group that can go, they can go through by themselves. But we also created a teacher's guide for parents and Sunday school leaders and um, by, uh, children's schools that are Christian schools. 
And I'm just finishing it up, but it's coming out in October. And what I've loved about this is we've done a number of test market kids. We've actually given it to kids of that age group who have no foundation for the materials at all and who are kids who have not heard from God consistently in their lives yet. And the reports of it, and I'm just thinking about my age when I was young. Like I was like Julian, who was here on Friday night. Those of you who got to see him. And my wife is the same. We all got saved at three or four years old, filled with the Spirit, and start walking with God young. And any materials that I was given at that age, like five, six, seven, eight, I would take so seriously. I remember I got a Salty the Singing Songbook journal, and it had questions to answer as a seven or eight-year-old. And I remember just like praying over this and just going, God, speak to me about my, you know, like at seven and eight. And there were so few materials then, and there's so few materials now for kids in that age group. But here's some statistics. I can't talk. Statistics. Half the world's population is under the age of 16. And, and the average person, according to the Barna Group, gets saved now at 12 years old. So that means that in our generation, revival is going to happen with children. And so if you don't feel like you're called to children, you're wrong because you are a children's pastor because half the world's population is way younger than you. The average age in Western church is 42. So there's a huge gap between who's alive and who we're ministering to right now in the church. So Sheree and I and our team, uh, we have a team back in Los Angeles called Expression 58. It's our, our home church. And Jennifer Toledo was already going after children. She actually has a ministry of justice towards mainly children. And she wrote a book called Children of the Supernatural, which is just an amazing book that tells you stories about what God's done with some children that she's connected to. And then she also has a little workbook called Opening Eyes and Ears to Hear from God. And this little workbook is very short, and, but it's, it sells still every month by the thousands to churches all around the world who just need a tool. And, and so I saw that, and, and Jennifer hasn't been able to slow down to like update it or create a new one. And so it's more of a prophetic handbook, and so I, that's why we made our materials. But we're just so committed to seeing the next generation empowered and fueled with real materials. And especially when we became parents, we're like, oh, no, we can't, we can't let our kids grow up without the tools, and we can't be the only ones providing the tool sets. And so the cool thing is we've actually encouraged all of our ministry network of friends to go after children as well. And there's probably about 100 of them that are about to do children's projects as well. So we've inspired a lot of other ministries. As a matter of fact, I talked to Georgian Banoff. You guys know Georgian. I think he's been here. And, excuse me, Georgian actually wrote, co-wrote and co-produced Music Machine, if you ever heard of that. It's a, from the 70s. Uh, there's this, during the Jesus People Movement, there was this little record. It actually went gold because there was nothing out at that time for kids. And it was just about this crazy guy who had a music machine and these kids who interacted with him and it taught principles of God. And he's, he's going after the full rights of it again so he can reproduce it for this generation. I just think those kinds of efforts are going to go so far in our generation of training up kids to be influencers and to have empowerment. So I just wanted to share that with you. If you want to see, we have another video just like Translating God video, but for the kids. It's called growingupwithgod.com. And you'll see some of the kids who got in, uh, impacted by just our seminar and what happened. But we also show you what the information is. Uh, so I just wanted to share that with you. Okay, that's endofcommercials.com. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about, about uh, two, two different themes, and I opened up my wrong notes here. One of them is, I heard that there's a saying in Singapore, anything can happen. And I heard that some of you are like, I'm aware of that, but it was in your founding, like uh, even right when you guys were founding as a nation, and, and Pastor Aries from uh, City Harvest, he was telling me about it. And then I looked it up online. I was like looking at Singapore's history. And so some of your early forefathers would talk about that theme of like anything can happen in our generation. And it actually became a sarcastic kind of saying about the 80s and 90s where people were like, oh, anything can happen, almost negatively. And I want to redeem it to you today because I believe, and I've said this before about Singapore, that you guys are supposed to be an economic center for all of Asia, a safe place for both funding but also for kingdom transformation projects throughout all of Asia, right here in Singapore. And God wants to do some things that this country is not worthy of. He loves your country so much that he wants to do things that you're not worthy of. That's a beautiful statement. If you think about that, like there's a divine setup right now happening for Singapore. I happen to be here when um, uh, your, uh, I can't remember what his name, prime minister passed away. I was, I was leaving uh, the country with Sean Foyt. And we were sitting in the airport, and our plane got delayed, and we were just there. And many of you know Sean Foyt because he's been here, and Sean's one of my best friends. And we just knew it was a moment in time when we were here when he was passing away. We can feel the passing on of batons in the spirit for many people to carry the reins that he carried as one man. 
And we felt like many things would open up. And I felt there'd be a season of, of inordinate bureaucracy first as, as everyone finds their identity in this. And I know that that's already affected many places. But I feel like God's about to, to send some or, or commission some strong leaders to raise up in this nation that what one man held and did, he pioneered so many things that there's a new pioneering movement, but it's going to take a generation of people to do. And so I say this to you because you're in a divine setup and we need to learn what influence looks like in the kingdom. And influence in the kingdom comes from a, a genuine love heart, a love culture inside of us. The only way to, to gain kingdom influence, you can't go to college for it. You can't get a PhD and just get there. You can't work for the most important people in the nation. You can't just have friends who are connected. You can't even come from generational wealth or just be wealthy to have this kingdom influence. There has to be a place of agreement with what the Father in heaven has designed nations for or industries for. There has to be a, seat, a site inside of your faith that begins to see what God's original intention and design was over whatever genre or whatever thing you're going into. And when that starts to happen inside of you, when you start to love with God's capacity, then the whole world begins to synchronize around you and synergize around you. As a matter of fact, like being in Los Angeles, you know, we went for the entertainment industry because we know the next revival is going to be led by popular culture. And so we went out there. And the, I remember the first season we went out there, and uh, I, I don't know if I've told my story of meeting Heidi Baker and what happened, but I want to just give you that story this morning because I think it's going to help you. And then what happened in L.A. But my first season of going out to Los Angeles, when I got there, there was about seven other churches in our same genre of kind of young millennials who were going after the entertainment industry who had failed. And not only had they had failed as churches, the pastors had committed hor- hor- horrendous. I was going to say erroneous. I don't know. But... Uh, terrible acts with their, like one of the pastors slept with all of his staff. I mean, like just crazy stuff. And it was very public. So when I say this, I'm not trying to sensationalize it. It was just very public to the point it was reported in newspapers. And we show up under Bethel with Bill and Benny Johnson. And we're like, we're here to just be support to what God's doing. And everyone got scared of us because we're young people who are ministering to young people. And I mean, there was, there, we call it, uh, uh, sexual atheism where there's no, there's no purity in the land. Like there's Christians who don't believe in purity and sexuality at all. That's what they call sexual atheists nowadays. There's, I mean, absolute alcoholism just rampant in the young community. It was just so crazy when we got there. And the first year that we were there, I felt like we were leading a glorified youth group, not an actual church, because everybody was, there was such a big turnover because people only stayed for a year or two and they'd go off into their industry somewhere like Vancouver, Toronto, China, wherever. And so it was just such a turnover. And it was so confusing to me because most of the people that we inherited right away were like fallen you know, angry people, <laughs> people who didn't have identity. And I thought, God, you sent us here, and this is really dysfunctional environment. But it's because we're inheriting, it's just kind of like the, the whiplash people from this, all these different churches that had failed. The good thing was a lot of other churches started at the same time with us, and we've become very dear friends. We had about eight churches start at the same year we started, or the year after. We became very good friends, and we all went on an identity journey together as far as reaching the younger generation. And now recently, we've had churches like Hillsongs and other churches come in, and there's a church named Vintage, and churches have come in and helped help build a larger foundation and identity because they have a bigger reach than I think anyone else does for this younger generation. I say that because when we moved in and we believed that God wanted to influence culture, we were asking God, what is your strategy to influence culture here in Los Angeles and in Hollywood? Because we would immediately gain favor, and I was ending, I'm going to end up in celebrities' houses and doing Bible studies and going to, like, manager, you know, I don't know, like the big, huge meetings with conglomerates of manager, Hollywood managers and agents, and I'd be speaking to them. I remember one of the houses we went to, I didn't know it was a house. I thought it was a hotel because they had valet parking, but it was someone's house, and I'm like... <laughs> wait, someone lives here? And they're like, yeah, this is someone's house. I'm like, oh, I thought we were at a hotel. It was in Malibu. I had no idea, you know? And, and I remember going in, and it was all of the writers that I respect from Hollywood, and most of them were Christians, and all of them were pretending to be Christians. And they had me. I, I didn't know why I was there. I just got invited by this billionaire couple that I just respected, so I came. But they had me speaking, but they never told me. And I remember they're like, Sean Bowles is this guy who hears from God. They didn't even know what that was. He's going to share with you right now, and I'm thinking, oh, dear Jesus, you know? <laughs> And I remember it was so awkward because we're sitting, my wife and I are sitting on this couch when she said that, and the, their cat was like one of those weird, huge Mancun cats, and it was kneading my wife's neck, and she couldn't get it to go away, and she's laughing hysterically because we're like the only people who aren't serious in the whole room. Everyone else was just like, you know, this is a meeting, and we're just hysterically irreverent, and then we, we won the favor because of that, but... 
But I've been in all these weird environments and had influence, but, but in, in the context of that, the first couple of years of being in L.A., we had influence without understanding the place of influence God wanted to give us. And so we were, we were confused and influence in favor of not, how, we didn't know how to harness it or how to turn it into God's power. And so part of maturity in favor is, is growing and understanding why you have favor. Part of growing and knowing how you have favor is the story I'm about to tell you. So when I first met Heidi Baker, I was in Canada and I was doing an event and we had these afternoon sessions because I'd had this heavenly experience with God and I was trying to recreate it. I, I was trying everything I could on my own. I would spend a lot of time in prayer and then in any kind of conference I was doing, I asked all the conferences for a, a number of years to do these sessions where I just have their worship teams come and play spontaneously for like two hours, almost like a house of prayer spontaneous set. But I'd say, don't do anything you know how to do. We're only going to do things. We're just going to try something new. So I had this woman, some of you heard of her, Joanne McFadder, and I made her come with me to a lot of these sessions and lead them. And she ended up leading the whole thing. I was supposed to co-lead, but I'd just be on the floor going, I just want to see you again, God. I hate this, God, please. You know, I was so frustrated with church and life and everything else. I have to see you again. I was almost Christian suicidal because of what I saw in Jesus. I was the happiest frustrated person on earth. Because I saw what heaven was like. I saw who Jesus was, but I couldn't access him in that same way after I saw that. So then I became depressed. And so, but not really, because I was still happy. And so Heidi, when I first met Heidi, Heidi, I, I didn't know who she was. And I had a lot of stalkers at the time. I was single. And so I had women who would like throw themselves at me. And so I was really nervous around people. And I, was, I had my hands out and I was just praying in the session that Joanne was leading. And Joanne was frustrated with me because I made her keep going. And it was two hours in. And I'm like, keep going, keep going. Oh, God, please come, you know. And all of a sudden, I feel these arms around me, and this woman's saying, I love you, Shambles. I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm like, get her off me, you know. <laughs> Who is this? And I look down. I'd never seen Heidi before, and I look down, and it's Heidi. And I'm like, oh, this woman's awesome. I, like, love her. Why do I like this woman so much? And then she goes, I'm Heidi Baker, and I knew she was, I've been waiting to meet her, you know. Like, I knew she was coming. And I'm like, I love you too, you know, and I hug her back. And if you don't know who Heidi is, she's, she leads the fastest church planning movement in history right now. And so they have 30,000 plus churches right now. And so, so I, uh, she's holding on to me. And, and, and this is when they had about fifteen or 16,000 churches at the time or ministries at the time. And she's holding on to me. And, and, and she goes, pray with me, Sean, pray with me. And she falls on the ground. And I'm, I'm thinking like someone who leads that many churches is going to be a high-powered, like intense. I've been around Jackie Pollinger who was in the video. I went and did an internship with her. And Jackie is not like a lovey-dovey. She's sweet, but she's not a lovey-dovey person. She's like, we are going to go here. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And when she speaks, she's militant. You know, she's just, she's a general. And Heidi comes along and is like, pray with me. Falls on the floor and is like, going, oh, God, God. And I'm like, okay. And I get down to the ground, you know, put my hand on her and she's screaming, oh, speak to us, God. And I'm thinking, this is radical. This is like so crazy. Like, I like her. And, and, She's on her face, and she's shaking her hands out because she's manifesting, but she's just, like, trembling, like, God, you got to show up. She just got off the plane from, you know, a 30-hour flight. And it was with me. Instead of going into her room, all the other speakers in her rooms, you know, sleeping, and she's, like, coming straight from the plane because she needs to encounter God because she feels like she's in the middle of being undone and coming into a new revelation. And I could feel that urgency inside of her. Instead of being disengaged and just doing another session, she's actually needing to meet with God for everything else that's in her life. And so at one point, about 45 minutes in, she starts screaming, I must get the lost Makua bride! I didn't even understand what she said. She said it over and over. I must go get the lost Makua bride! Go get her, go get her, go get her, go get her, go get her! I had no idea what she's saying. I'm like, so finally I asked her, I said, and I'm praying with her the whole time, like just me and her, you know, and everyone else is in their own world. And, and I go, hey, because I don't know her. I'm like, who, 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 who or what is a lost Makua bride? What does that mean? She goes, I don't know. I'm having a revelation. And I'm like, what is it? She goes, I don't know. And I'm like, this is wild. She's like praying. I don't even know what this means. I, I had zero clue what it meant. And, and I, after a while, 30 minutes go, but more go by, and she's screaming it as loud as she can for that whole time. And what was weird is nobody thought it was weird. I was just like, oh, look at Heidi Baker. Isn't that neat? She's screaming on the floor. And I feel like I'm the only one who's sane and going, this is unusual. <laughs> she screamed now for an hour and a half. And it's just, you know, 
So finally, I, I whisper, I was like, is there anything else I can help you pray for? Because I didn't know what to do. And she goes, faces, faces. And she grabbed my chest and starts, I thought she was going to rip my heart out. She just <laughs> grabbed my chest really hard. Inappropriate prayer. You're taught never to, like, touch people, you know. Don't touch a man right here. She's like, ah! And my chest hairs were pulling out, you know. And, and she goes, faces, faces. And all of a sudden, I begin to get filled with these African faces. And I start to see what she's seeing. We start sharing a vision. And I start to see these beautiful people and I get filled with God's love for a people group. And I realize the Makua is a people group somewhere in Africa. And we're both, then we're both just crying for these people for hours. And by the time I kind of came out of what I was having an encounter with her, um, I look at her and, and I had to go to the bathroom real bad because it had been like now six hours. <laughs> and... She was still on the ground, and they, and they were done with worship, and there's a whole session around us. And I had no idea that there was now a 1,000 people who'd gathered for the session, and we're still crying on the front row. And by the time worship was over, they just put the microphone by her face and said, here, Heidi. And, she's like, <laughs> and I'm, I'm just thinking, this is one of the greatest church planners of all time, and all she can do is sit on the ground and cry out for a people group. She doesn't even know if they exist yet. She just has seen God's heart. And I fellowship with her cry and her prayer over a people group. So that night, we call Roland, her husband. Roland's the brains in the operation in that sense. And called him up and said, uh, she said, do you know, Roland, uh, where these people would be? They're the Makua people. And he said, no, 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 I'll, I'll search them. And he thought they were in China because there's a Makua in China. And we were like, no, 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 we saw black faces. They're African. <laughs> so he, he calls back and he goes, I just found, it's weird because we're in Mozambique. We've never heard of these people. They're actually in Mozambique. And they're the least reached people group in Africa right now. They've actually stoned or killed any missionaries that go to them. Even from Islam, from, from Mormons, whoever, they've, they've stoned them and killed them. And so, um, so, you know, I don't know what you guys are thinking, but they're, they're a hard people group. And Heidi goes, cancel everything for three weeks we're going. I'm like, I love her. But she was so desperate because she saw them in her spirit. She got filled like, I mean, her spiritual womb in some senses got filled like just being pregnant with love for them. And so she, she was supposed to leave the next morning early. And I was ha actually had my team in Canada that came with us in the conference. About once a year, we'll bring our whole ministry team and we'll have meetings somewhere out and about just to, just to give them a time to get filled with God. And so my team happened to be there. And so we're having like a board meeting or like a meeting, not a board meeting, but just like a team meeting. And we're in a, in a, just kind of our own room in the hotel convention center. And all of a sudden the doors burst open and Heidi was supposed to be gone. And she screams, you must pray for me again. I'm going after the lost Makua bride. And like falls on her face and just starts shaking and crying. And I look at my team and I'm like, well, you heard her. Let's pray for, you know, with her. And so we're praying for, but now two or three hours have gone by and her plane was supposed to leave four hours ago. And it's hard to get to Mozambique. So I'm like thinking, oh, Lord, I mean, like, this is good that she's still here, but we're going to get in trouble, you know. And so she gets up. At one point, she feels a relief. She's like, I'll tell you what happens when I get there. And she just leaves. She gets to the airport, and her plane was delayed until she got there. It was just like one of those. And this happens to her every other trip. Like, I've been with her now in the airport when she's fallen on the ground crying or something. I've been with her, and her planes wait for her everywhere she goes. It's just crazy. But, uh, but she goes back, and that week she goes with Roland. He flies. They hire an interpreter who's barely Christian, um, but it's the only one they could find who, who speaks Makua. And they go to their first Makua village, and, and she didn't have a strategy. And I remember she emailed me. I said, what's your strategy? And she said, I don't have one, so I'm just going to say anybody who needs to get healed, come out, and if our God's not real, you can kill us. Now, I've worked in missions my entire life. I've gone to the poorest of the poor. I've gone to crazy places. I've had guns drawn on me many, many times. I don't get even nervous typically when guns are drawn. I mean, it's just kind of a normal Africa thing. It just happens. But, uh, but I've never gone to a tribe that I know might want to be hostile and kill me and said, here, we're going to put God to the test. If he's real, he'll heal you. If he's not, go ahead and kill us anyways. I've just, I've never thought of that. And it, it reminded me of like old classic missionary stories. So I'm thinking... Heidi is radical, but I could feel the love because I got filled with it too that, that she was filled with. And so she and Roland went. And Roland, the most beautiful thing about her husband is he's just like, okay. <laughs> he never challenged her. My wife, if my wife said this to me, I'm so analytical and unbelieving in so many ways. I would have said, uh-uh. 
I need to hear God audibly and have three signs, or five signs, or 25 signs. And even, even after I got the signs, I would still be challenging. I mean, I need to, I need to pray for my unbelief. But Heidi and Roland go there, and, and she does what she said she was going to do. She's, there was no model. There's nothing they could do. And when she first said it, the interpreter didn't want to re- repeat her because he was part of the ones they might kill, you know. And so, so he says, I'm not with them. They hired me. No, you know, but she says it, and she says, um, I, I've come, you know, because God loves you. I'm a Christian. He wants to heal all your afflictions. He wants to heal anybody who needs healing. And if he does, bring me your sick and your, and your deaf and your blind, and if my God doesn't heal him, you can do whatever you want to us. And she said this for 45 minutes, waited, because no one would come. And they were laughing, like, I don't know if you've ever been to, I'm from L.A., so we have, like, there's teenagers who think they're really cool, and they're kind of like, they start to get irreverent and mocking. The whole tribe was like that. So she, and I've been to Makua people, and I've seen that, like, it's just kind of like a we're too cool for school type thing. And, uh, but they're, it's just different. So she, um, she, she says it for 45 minutes, and finally one man who seemed to have a lot of authority pushed a girl who had no um, her eyes were white. So she was blind. They pushed a girl into her and says, heal her if your God is real. And so she grabs a girl. She didn't know what to do. She, didn't, she, she knew her vineyard prayer model wasn't going to work of like four points of prayer. So she just, she grabbed her and she just started loving on her. She's like, Jesus, I saw her. I saw her. I saw her. You love her. This isn't how she's supposed to be. Restore to your original plan. I see her. I see her seeing God. I see her. You love her more than I do. Restore. And she's, she's rocking with her and loving her. And the, the tribe is like, what is she doing? Because they're not affectionate at all. Zero affection. And she's crying. Like she's loving this girl affectionately more than they've loved this girl affectionately. And they're watching it. And at one point, the girl kind of gasps, kind of not scream screams, but gasps. And her eyes are back. And she's looking around. And she looks up at the man. And he starts weeping. And he's the chief of this village. And it's his daughter. And he says, all of us, we must know this God. (laughs) And that was their first fruits. And so since then, they have several million Makua people who've been saved. After a whole, all of history, none. And... Shortly after that, Heidi comes out, maybe a, a year or two later. We've seen her a lot of times in between. But she comes out to Pastor Chaon's church to do one of his conferences that she comes to every year. And she, um, she called me up, and I had just got back from a trip, and I wasn't scheduled to go to the conference until, like, a day she wasn't going to be there. And so I was going to stay home. I was just so tired from whatever international trip I went on. And, uh, and I had just seen her that weekend. So, I was, uh, you know, it was no big deal that I wasn't going. But my, my team, my guys, I live with, at the time, four other guys, and they wanted to go so bad, and they knew that if they went with me, they might meet Heidi. So they were like, are you going tonight? I'm like, no, I'm not going tonight. You have to go tonight. We want, to go. We want you to go tonight. They're so excited. They're like these musicians and actors and whatever. We have to go meet Heidi. And I'm like, no, I'm not going tonight. Please go with us because then we might meet her. And I'm like, no. And then I get a call from her, a voicemail while I was taking a nap. I get a call from her, and it says, please come in. I feel like you need to pray for me before I get up on the platform. I thought, that's unusual. There's no reason I need to pray for her. But I thought, I'm, I need to honor her because we've become friends. And, and I just, she's like a spiritual mom. I don't want to, like, not go if someone asked me the smallest favor. And so I'm looking at my assistant at the time, and I'm like, Heidi just called and asked me to come tonight. I'm so tired. I, I kind of need to go. He's like, you're going. And he was so excited because that means he got to go. And then the whole crew got to go from the house. And it was a sold-out conference. So, like, how are we going to get in? And I'm like, she didn't ask for all of you to come. She asked for me to come, you know, but I got them all in and we went to the, the, the meeting. And so right after worship, I went up, she asked me to come up on the stage with her. She goes, Sean's going to come and pray for me. Well, I ended up praying for her, but I was having the encounter. Like she was, she was praying, asking me to pray for her for an encounter before she started. And I started to see some things in the spirit. And I started to see in Los Angeles, the lost bride of Los Angeles. I started to see the faces of the, those in LA that Jesus was, they were his inheritance. The, the joy set before him in LA and in the entertainment industry. And my, in my spirit, I was walking up and down Hollywood Boulevard, Sunset Boulevard, to Santa Monica Boulevard, to all these streets, or these iconic streets. I'm walking supernaturally fast and just seeing thousands and thousands of faces. And I, I was crying while I was seeing this and I, I couldn't pray for Heidi. And then she grabbed my heart and she said, faces, faces, faces. I see your faces now with you. And so she's, and no one knows what we're experiencing because it was all quiet. And so the, the ushers dragged me Heidi Baker style into my chair. 
And I'm, I'm just there, and my friend, uh, some of you have heard of him, his name's Chad Deadman. He's from Bethel, he's sitting next to me. And he's, he's wanting to get on, in on this encounter. He's like, what's going on? Like, you're having an encounter with God, what's going on? So he's asking me, and I can't even talk. I'm like, Ugh. Like, I'm inside going, leave me alone, you know. And he goes, what? And so I grab his chest, and I said, what do you see? And he goes, oh, faces, faces, faces. And he's seeing what I'm seeing now for Southern California. I said, revival is pregnant in California. And I, and I fell so deeply in love with Jesus' inheritance in, in Southern California that all these insecurities and all these frustrations and all these lower leadership things I was thinking of, all this pettiness went away. Any politics was stripped from me. I fell so deeply in love spiritually that I knew it was different. As a matter of fact, for about a year, I would go twice a week on walks that sometimes I would end up walking nine miles. I didn't even know how far I was walking. And I just would, I would be so in love with LA that I just walk. And I would just end up, you know, I'd start out on Hollywood or Sunset Boulevard and I'd end up somewhere far, far away and I'd have to call someone to come pick me up from my roommates or something because I just ended up, I lived in Hollywood at the time and I, I just would end up really, fun, but I'd have these divine appointments with people where I was, I would just instantly had needed no explanation when I'd start talking to people because I was so carrying a spiritual atmosphere of, of his love. I would look at somebody and say, hey, can I share something with you? I'd be like, yes, versus, mm, I don't know. Because, I mean, you have to realize in the streets of Hollywood, we have Scientologists who are like, do you want a free stress test? You know, like we have, we have everybody trying to sell you their mixed CD that's not even theirs. We have everybody, characters who are like dressed up trying to get a picture with you so they can have $5 or a dollar even, you know? And, and so for me to go up to people like in the spiritual atmosphere and go, I need to talk to you, they'd be like, okay. Versus rejection was a miracle in itself. And I had all these divine appointments that were so beautiful during that year. And that what I learned is that, is that when you have love, it sets the foundation of favor. That when you have a love in your heart, that before you've even gone to someone, God has, it's like he's had 10 conversations with their spirit preparing them to meet you that he's done all the foundational work. And that was just for street evangelism, that let alone all of the favor we were having and breakthrough with meeting with people. I remember one of the celebrities um, who's one of the most controversial celebrities in, in history, she called me randomly. She got my phone number from somebody and said, hey, this is so-and-so. I wish I could tell you her name, but I just want to honor her and not. And she said, can you, and she's been in porn and in, in the uh, industry, you know, in, in entertainment. And she calls me and says, um, can you, this, this Saturday, I'm going to start a Bible study in my house. I'm like, oh, Okay. She goes, can you come and lead it? I'm like, okay. It's, you know, sure. Okay. How, how did you get my phone? Like, how, how? And she's like, I'm just going to invite a bunch of my friends, but it needs to be as non-religious as possible because none of them believe in Jesus. And I love Jesus, but I've been really wounded by a church I was involved in and where they took advantage of me and just my reputation. And I've, I, I don't like church right now. So can you come just to my house and lead this Bible study? And I remember getting to the house and going, these are the people that were in my heart, that my heart got filled with. And it was so easy, and it transformed. Like, it was like 10 years of discipleship in like six months because it was so easy for all of us because there was such a preparation that God had laid through this encounter of his love that was just so obscure. It's not like I saw the direct faces that I was seeing. It was just a people group I was filled with. So I remember a couple years later, I was, I was in the zone of just like walking out the favor from falling in love. And I went to see Heidi in Mozambique. And it was my first time. It was maybe 2007 or 2008. I, th I can't remember when. I went to um, be with Heidi in Mozambique. And, and she was so excited because she had saved some things for just me to do. And number one, the, my favorite thing that she did was, because I've been all over the world nations and I've had malaria and different kinds of sickness, she wasn't trying to do what she does to most leaders who come there. She tries to give them a really hard experience so that they know what it's like to live in Mozambique. So she puts them in like very missional living where there's no hot water, there's no nothing. There's nothing of comfort. And for me, she's like, I'm giving you my mom's house that has air conditioning. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Never done that in history, but she just loved me. She's like, you've been, to, you've been to these places. I have a mosquito net for you. You know, I'm like, yes. You know, so... <laughs> So but I get on the base, and, and we, were, we were supposed to be there for a while, but we ended up only being able to go for a few days because we were stuck in Kenya. It's a long story. But when we got there, um, uh, she was so excited that she filled, like, just a few days full of, like, two weeks of activity. So we basically didn't sleep. But the first – I was in air conditioning, like, for four hours a night. It was beautiful, but that was it. So – and we went in the hottest season of the year. So we were like, oh, wow, I've been in hot places, but this is, like – I think hell just appeared, you know, on the earth. <laughs> 
But the, the, the people we were with were so beautiful, and I was so excited to be there that I wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere else at that time. I remember after days of activity, like we went, she goes, I saved this one village that's really close. Who they, Last time I was there, they stoned me and hurt my back, and I almost broke my back, and I have a permanent injury until God heals me. But I saved him for you. We're going to go back and get him. And I'm like, we can go somewhere really normal if you want. Like, <laughs> but we went, and a lot of people got saved and healed. It was like one of those you know, Heidi Baker stories when we went, and really special. And, and, and so when we got back uh, for the Sunday morning church, um, I don't know if you've ever been to Africa. I don't know if you have been. Some of you have even been to Iris. And uh, the Sunday morning can start at like 8, and then it really starts at like 11. And then it goes for for many, 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 many hours. And sometimes until 2 or 3, even though the real service is like, I don't know what time, 10 to 1 or something. But it goes all day because these people walk forever to get there, and and also they just don't have anywhere else to go. And so I wanted to go early and just hang out with the kids because there was a lot of street kids at that time who this was their only opportunity to come on the Iris base. And a lot of them were a little iffy as far as their character. And so I wanted to go hang out with them. And so I had a water bottle just like this. Thank you for the prop. I had a water bottle. And they, all these street kids were hanging out with me because they were wondering after I drank it if they can have the water bottle because they wanted the five cents or whatever it was worth. So I thought they were just really loving me. And then I realized they want my water bottle. I thought I was having like this anointing, but they just want my water bottle. So when I was done with it, they were like, desperate for the water bottle, and I used it to my advantage and prayed for a lot of them. But um, <laughs> Heidi, Heidi got there, and, and at this point it was full. Heidi gets there, and she has me come up and worship. She goes, come over here. I want you to um, kneel right here. And actually my friend Chad, who I mentioned before, was with me, him and his wife Julian. So we all knelt, and it wasn't like, I mean, everyone else was doing their worship thing, and, but she had us come to the front, and she said, I want, I want my, my children's prayer team to pray for you. And all these kids came over, and I had, like, hands on every part of my back and shoulders and everywhere. And all these kids are praying for me who couldn't even speak English two years before. Most of them were on the streets, or most of them were, you know, bush kids or whatever. Just, you know, two years before, a year before, and now they're speaking English. And they begin to prophesy, and they begin to prophesy my Hollywood calling like my calling for the entertainment industry, without understanding the inter- entertainment industry, most of the kids who laid hand on me had only seen movies in the last year. And they had seen very limited movies. And they're prophesying. One of them, she said, I, I see this thing, and I've had this word many times, but to have it from a girl from Africa who's nine, she goes, I see falling stars falling out of the sky, and you're taking a hold of them, and you're putting them in your pocket. Now, one of the men who helped write, catch a falling star and put it in your pocket, never let it get away, was in a meeting with me. And he said, I wrote that song, but God's saying it's a prophecy for you for Hollywood. So she had no idea, obviously, as a nine-year-old from Africa, what a star would even mean. She didn't know. But she, they're prophesying my destiny in one of the most pure senses I've ever, ever had it prophesied. Then, and I'm crying. And then Heidi leans into my ear and says... I I couldn't wait for you to be here because you prayed and interceded and dreamed my dream with me. And everyone who just prayed for you is a Makua child who would have had no opportunity to do this if we hadn't birthed this. And then I'm really crying. I mean, it took me four hours to get off the floor. I'm like, they're alive, they're here. And then we did like, I don't know how many hours. We baptized, I think, 400 pastors, Makua pastors who were graduating that weekend to go into their villages. And I'm just, I'm like baptizing them with Heidi going, ah, <sighs> we, we saw them in the spirit and now they're here. Like this is, this is literally, this is that. Yeah. And it gave me, she goes, do you have faith now for Los Angeles? I'm like, I have faith for the world. <laughs> and we've had such unusual favor in, in the world, not just in Los Angeles, in the world. And our team has the favor. As a matter of fact, um, my first presidential meeting was when I was really young, but my second one was when I was, on this prophetic journey over South Korea. It's a long story. And I remember coming back to my spiritual family. These, you know, it was mostly people under 30 in, in my church, Expression 58, back in 2008. And I said, you guys, this just happened. And I believe that this place of influence, that God wants us to influence nations and meet with presidents and meet with people of influence. And I believe that we'll fall in love with them. You know, and I was telling them the story. And then within one year, we had 12 different presidential meetings from other people, not me, who were all under 30 years old, who were advising presidents of different nations. And I remember when I first shared it, a couple of the older people in the, in the congregation said, you shouldn't share these things because your life is special and unique. And these people will never have an opportunity to have that kind of expression in their lifetime. And I said, no, if my life is special and unique, I'm going to go to heaven right now. Because Jesus said we'll do greater things. And so if I do things and people can't look at it as a prototype for what they can do, then 
then our faith isn't big enough. And I remember somebody, one of the ladies even left the church for a while, an amazing woman who, who used to senior pastor. She left our church for a while, not in anger, but just kind of like, oh, they're a little delusional about what, what favor is. And I, and I remember feeling so sad for her because I thought she'd, she'd come to a place where she would counsel celebrities and she had a counseling degree and she, would, um, she, would, she was around influential people, but it never satisfied her heart and it was, there was never a real breakthrough the way she was longing for. And then we're preaching the breakthrough that, you know, that seems idealistic to somebody who's even been on a limited journey of it. And she got actually discouraged by it because she'd never seen greater breakthrough. And when she listened to us, it hurt her faith. It hurt her heart. So she had to leave because she would feel aggravated by how we talked about favor and influencing culture. So, you know, about three years later, she comes back and we, that night we had a testimony night for what God had done the whole year. And I'm sitting there going, and we had two hours of testimonies. No one was like, oh, this is boring. Everybody was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Like we were going, I was in the front row because I hadn't even heard most of the testimonies. I'm like, you were at, and none of it was recorded because a lot of it was private information. I'm like, you're at that person's house doing that? I mean, this is when we found out one of our ladies had gone to the, Hollywood, uh, the Playboy Mansion to do, um, she was an extra in a film, and she had called me and asked me if it was okay to go. And I said, yeah, I think you're so pure. I think it'd be great for you to go, and you'll never be seen on the camera. I think you should go and see what God will do. So she went with her daughter, and they actually end up leading like 15 playmates to the Lord, and having this, like God showed up in his glory and started healing people at the Playboy Mansion. I remember like we're listening to that going, are you serious? Because we hadn't talked to her in like three months. I mean, she talked to people in the church, but I was gone a lot. And so I'm like, we're hearing stories that are like phenomenal. And this woman happened to be at the meeting and she's weeping because she's realized my faith is so half full. It's not, it's not empty, but it's only half full. And I'm listening to people do what I've dreamed of my whole lot of Christian life, but I didn't believe it because I was limited by, by politics and by agenda and by the religious structure versus just believing that love has its own structure. And... You know, going back into Los Angeles, and I believe if we can influence some places like politics or Hollywood, we can influence anywhere, right? Or business. Because they're so, they're so unusual. And sometimes the church is so used to its internal influence that that's what we, you know, are trying to attain to versus actually Jesus was given a name above all names, all titles, all respectable places. He's the king of glory that every industry will bow down to him. He's inherited them all already. They're already his. And so for us, we look at the world and we go, God, you want to transform the earth and you want a picture before you return of occupation. It doesn't mean that you're going to occupy every sphere and industry. It doesn't mean that everything will look Christianized or perfect. But you want to, like even Joseph, like in Joseph's day, if you looked out externally, if you were the normal Hebrew person and went, wow, we still look like Egypt and Israel in the midst of Egypt. And, and, and maybe even some of the Israelites didn't know that Joseph had actually helped them to avoid a famine that would have destroyed them, utterly destroyed them. And Joseph looked more like uh, an Egyptian than he did a Hebrew. You know, and Daniel looked more like a Babylonian than he did a Hebrew. And that's confusing, but the reality is that God's sending us to, we're going to smell more like Pharaoh's house than we smell like, you know, the church at times. But we'll have a Hebrew heart culture where we go in, we'll have a Christian heart culture where we go in and there's a place of, of, of we carry the kingdom of glory into all of the world. And I feel like we've used that scripture, be in the world, but not of it. We've used that scripture to avoid the world. And it's very dualistic. It's like, oh, that's evil. Because everything that's not spiritual is evil in a lot of the church's mind. But how we've learned to have influence is that we, I mean, you'll find me in LA in a club for opening night. You'll find me in a bar because one of our bands is playing. You'll find me in all kinds of places. And I, I remember, like, I didn't think that was controversial until I started talking to other pastors who were like, you would go to a bar when your bands would open up? And I'm like, yeah, I love, I love going to bars when our bands open up. How could you love that? That's the world. And I'm thinking, Jesus went to so many places that are Christian illegal today that just it confuses me because I'm so not indoctrinated by, by the church because my parents, like my parents' generation was trying to flee the world, so they were afraid of everything. They were afraid of anything in the world. And so in our house for a season... They were even like saying Care Bears is evil or My Little Pony might demonize you or Smurfs, like definitely because there was a pentagram one time on the Smurfs. You better never watch the Smurfs because your children will get possessed. Pokemon might actually cause your kids to get opened up to the psychic realm. You know, like you're, you're in trouble. So my parents' generation was running away from, from um, the world because they were first-generation Christians. But then our generation of the next generation, second-generation Christians, we're like running back into the world saying, how can we see Jesus occupy, you know? 
And so there's been a, a Reformation generation being released, and it's very confusing to some people who are like, no, we're not supposed to be in the world. No, we're supposed to be in the world. But we're supposed to have a different culture. So when I got filled with love to believe that Jesus wants to influence the whole world, and he filled me with his prophetic spirit to be able to talk, like I'm way more effective with people outside the church zone, like people who aren't just five-fold ministry people for the church. I'm way more effective, and I don't know how I'm way more effective, but it just seems that I have better fruit outside the church than inside the fruit or church. And what I love about that, though, is that for, in my heart, like if I don't know what to pray about, if I don't have like a prayer agenda other than needs, I just fall in love. I just literally sit down with God, and I just fall in love with him more, and then all of his people on the earth more. Because I've seen faces. I've seen thousands of faces, and now I've been able to influence thousands of people. So for me, if, if, you, if you get spiritually bored at all, it's on you. Because there's so much love to be had, and love is never boring. And so I, I don't know the last time I was ever bored since I was 15. I don't know when I was ever bored because all my in-between spaces were, even in this season with my prophetic uh, spirit uh, encounters where I'm prophesying over people, the last four or five months has been the hardest time in my whole encounter with God in my ministry of the prophetic because he made it harder. He's like, you are now way too comfortable and faith is the thing that inspires me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take away some of the comfort in this and I want you to see, I want to see how much you want this. And so I would go to meetings and I would try and rely on just my gift or whatever, or just my, what was normal and natural for me. And it wasn't working anymore. And I'm like, that was an epic failure. That was a bomb. That was, I went to Dallas and I, the first night I got up and did what I normally do, what was normal. And I did like, I called out five people in a row that weren't there. And this is the first time this church had ever seen me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. I'm epic failure bomb for my ministry. And I'm not in performance, but I'm, that's a lot of bomb. You know, I'm, I'm like... I'm still okay with myself, but that was really like, wow, I wouldn't invite me back if I were them, you know? <laughs> and I still had one more service to do, and I was thinking, wow, that was really hard, you know? And it was right after this, this event that some of you had heard about Azusa Now when I, I had an epic success. And then I, a month later, I'm in a church, and it's an epic bomb with a church that, you know, Sean Foyt's favorite church in the world, and he's like, you're going to love it here. And then I bombed the worst I'd ever bombed. And I'm just like, is there anybody here? <laughs> you know, I... I Nothing worked. And I remember leaving that meeting. It was so funny because I had, I, I had this like, place with God where I was like going, why didn't that work? And why is it? And he just, I just heard him laugh. And he said, if you're hungry, then you'll come find me. And so then before meetings, I've had to really like give him 30 minutes, an hour before me, for every meeting I do to, to press in because I know if I spend time falling in love with the people who will be in the meeting, he'll give me something. Because I'm not in performance. If he, if he stops the prophetic, if that's how it works, then I would stop doing it. But he, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, eagerly pursue it. So I'm like, oh, you want me to pursue? Okay, I'll pursue you. I'll come find you. And I feel like a lot of us, we just go with what we feel our natural grace is, but our natural grace isn't our spiritual grace. So we're like, oh, that's not working anymore. Instead of pressing in and, and going for it, we actually pull back. And I feel like the church is in that. It's pulled back from some of the areas we're supposed to have influence because we have a lack of love and we're just going off of what we feel grace for. And the reality is that the grace that we have is to love humanity. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. For God so loved the world that he commissioned you. And so are you in love with the world? And so my attention has been like to actually pray. The good news was I went back and I said, God, I'm not in performance, but I want these people to get so loved on in Dallas. I just, I press into you because there's some people here that are, that, that you've destined to influence this great city. And it was right before we had a crisis where there was the shooting in Dallas. And I just believe God wanted to do something. And I believe that there was some turmoil that was going to happen in the city. And I even prophesied not that shooting, but that there was turmoil that was breaking out and, and used some specific language for it. And I remember just going, God, you got to show me. And I, after I just prayed and I didn't strive, I just, I just rested in his heart and he began to show me some things in his love. And it wasn't specific prophetic words. It was just he began to show me how much he loved the people in Dallas. And that night when I got up, it was totally different. But before that, I mean, I did pray in the meetings, but I didn't, I didn't engage with my whole heart. And I believe that influence and, and favor comes when we engage God's heart. And there's a lot at stake because we start to fall in love with people. When you fall in love with people, when people fail you or fail or they don't meet that place of like what your expectation and hope is, there's disappointment at times. 
And that's why I think a lot of us haven't engaged, especially people we don't have control over. It's hard to engage that. I don't have control over Hollywood. So when I engage, like when I engage my faith towards Justin Bieber for his calling, because Justin Bieber was at a spiritual event in Toronto that he raised money for himself when he was only 14 years old. And when he went to this Toronto Airport Fellowship and went to their biggest youth conference they ever had, several thousand kids gathered, the worship leader who knew nothing about this young boy who raised money to come by himself, he called him out and said, this young man is going to be a voice to the generation and began to sing a song over him. And these football players grabbed him and started parading him around the room on their shoulders. And, they, and it was like 30 minutes of prophesying over Justin Bieber before anything ever broke out in his life. And speaking about him being a voice to a generation and that he would have like an, a Keith Green anointing. Then he gets caught up in the Hollywood world and it gets pretty crazy, you know. And I remember just engaging my faith, going, God, I need to have a love for this young man. And I remember just like, you know, the more, and I'm friends with his mom and friends with some of the people in his life. I remember the worse off he was getting for a season there, I just would be like, oh, this, this hurts now because, because I really believe for him to be a voice of a generation. And I'm so disappointed in the natural with what I'm seeing. But at the same time, like, I want to keep my love on because he's worthy. Amen. And other church leaders in our, in our very city were saying, you know, Justin Bieber, blah, all these accusations. I'm like, wow, we are the voice of accusation and no one will ever feel safe because you'll lose the authority when you become in line with the accuser over someone's weakness. And I remember um, uh, years ago in, in 2001, I, I had this prophecy and this is my last story and then we'll, we'll move on, but we'll, I'll pray for you. But, uh, but I had this story happen where the Lord said, I care about civil rights more than you do. And I care about the rights between black and white issues and minority issues in America. It's actually one of the core issues in my heart for America. And I had never thought of that, that God actually cared about racial tension in America. And 2001, when he re-released me into ministry in a, in, a, in a strong way, that's the first thing he told me. And I remember just going, well, God, help me to fall in love with this generation of civil rights leaders then. And the, the ones that you want me to fall in love with, he goes, I want you to fall in love with all of them. I'm like, except for this person, this person, this person. Because we have some crazy civil rights leaders. I'm like, in my heart, I had, I had minus them out. And God said, no, no, no. I want to even influence those ones. And I'm like, ugh. And I remember um, being in one meeting with, uh, and I'll just say his name, Reverend Jesse Jackson. So we know who would know that, who that is. And he, he has had some very public scandals over the last 20 years. And I remember being in a meeting with him and my heart was in so much judgment towards him. Like I was like, this guy is like just a political leader. He doesn't have a heart for God. He's not even a real reverend. Like that's what was in my heart towards him. Like I just had this like racial white issue in my heart. Plus not understanding the culture he came from and understanding who he was. And I'd never had a conversation with him and I'd only heard my perspective from Fox news basically, which is bad. (laughs) So, so I'm in this civil rights meeting and he stands up, you guys, and he takes the most spiritual leadership since I've seen Martin Luther King do and prophesies over the civil rights in America in the most balanced way and so clean, like just such a clean perspective. And I'm just sitting there the whole time. Every word that would come out of his mouth made me dig myself deeper into a shame pit going, I have judged him so wrongly. I am so wrong. I've never seen him in who he is. I've only seen him in who he's not. God, forgive me for thinking this about him. This man is appointed from you. He's made huge mistakes, but wow, what a difference in this, in this experience with him. And I learned in, in even that moment that we can't judge what we don't have relationship to, really. And once you have a heart relationship to the world around you, you'll even get sentimentality for th- people that you would have never had a context for before. And you'll ha- actually have to learn how to put up healthy boundaries to really see them in their weakness in the right way because you'll fall in love with people so much that love covers a multitude of sins, even for warlords, even for, you know, dictators, even for people we shouldn't love. And all of a sudden, by the kingdom, we love them. And then we have to remind ourselves, you know, in a good way who, who they are because we can't be over, you know, overboard in our sentimentality for people. But I, I just... I believe that I'm giving you this message today because, number one, I believe that this church is a church, just like Julian Prop said, that's going to influence the influential. That God's setting you up to have a voice. He's setting you up to be a voice. And if he's doing that, the, the fastest way to gain authority is to fall in love. And not weird love, but actually a, a love that, that helps people to become their greatness and their fullness. And I don't know what it was like for Daniel but Daniel served Nebuchadnezzar, who not only failed miserably God's plan for his life, but he tried to kill Daniel. 
but Daniel still served him with affection. Way different than Joseph, who served Pharaoh, and Pharaoh seemed to be like enlightened about it, even though he, it never says he was Hebrew, it never says he even turned to God, but he was at least enlightened about it, where, where he, was, he actually fathered Joseph back, and, and Joseph fathered his, you know, Pharaoh's kingdom. But, but, but Daniel served an, an evil dictator who's like a Saddam Hussein, who's like an ISIS member, an evil dictator, and he loved him with genuine affection and love, and still believed for him to be restored. And I don't know that we have that capacity of love, but we need to have that capacity of love. Because God wants to change people who are people. And humans aren't that fun. They're just not until they have the redemption of God in their lives. And even then, they're not always that fun. So we have to make a choice of love. Love is a choice, not a feeling. It can come by revelation, but it's not a revelation. It's a choice. And I want to encourage you, like maybe in your, in your season you're in, um, uh, there's not a great outpouring of favor or influence. And, and the way you accelerate that, is, even at your job or even with your extended family or whatever, the way you accelerate that is you truly make choices to love and value and you become warm in your heart towards things that you were cold to or that you were indifferent towards. And especially the areas that trigger you the most is probably areas that you have the most authority. So I know like for some of my friends, they were really triggered by Obama. And I remember one of them, she was so, as a black woman, she was so triggered by Obama and his policies. And I'm like, you have almost hatred. And I believe the level of, of anger and frustration you have, if God touches that, it's now dug a hole inside of you that he can fill for love. And I feel like you've been contending and contentious towards him because you're going to have some sort of influence over this kind of black leadership in America. And she's like, I would never, you know. She ended up working for Obama. And fell in love with him. Just like absolutely loved him. And she was shocked how much she loved him. I mean, she's, when you talk to her, she's like, he's so great. Like she's dreamy-eyed towards him. And I just feel like, you know, that's not necessarily we have to be dreamy-eyed towards people. You know, I'm not trying to give you a false message here, but, but there's a place where when you love people, you see them for who they are, not who they're not. And you start to interact differently. And the world is looking for, just like we are, people who would understand them. Everybody wants to be understood, including God. And so when we lend ourselves to understand, not create barriers, but actually tear down barriers, we become, just in that simple act of love, we, became, we become... Uh, you know, heralds to kings. And it works. And I know that for, you know, for those of us who have any level of influence, I don't have that much influence, but I have some. And I think of Heidi Baker who, you know, she doesn't have that much influence, but she has some. And with our influence, we're, we're changing things. I, and and I, I've been with Heidi with some of the, like one of the guys she got influenced with to even get the Pimba base where she's at um, is Hindu. And he helped her get this whole base and, and worked it out with the government. And I went over to his house to visit him. And he was like, we're praying with him, and he's a Hindu who's praying to Jesus. But it was just really bizarre. And I thought he loved us so much because he was loved first, that there was, no, there was so much loyalty because of Heidi's love for him. There was so much loyalty that he actually lent his reputation to get her land and has protected that land in a way that no other land has been protected for Heidi by a man who's not even a believer. And I just I watched that over and over and over happen, that when you get someone's heart, you get their kingdom. And when they get your heart, they get your kingdom. And if, you, if you're not willing to let your heart be God, then you won't be influential to get other people's hearts. And that's really hard because we say bad company corrupts good character. Well, sometimes your best company is unbelievers. That's really hard for the church to understand. Joseph was proof of that. Daniel was proof of that. Some of the best company that actually opened the doors for Israel to be saved was because they kept company with pagan kings. And this is a hard principle, but the, the end-time revival that we're believing for, the next revival we're believing for, we're going to be sent into all the world to love well, and it won't be us and them. It'll be you're worthy, and I'm worthy because he made us worthy. Regardless of your choices, you're still worthy of his love. So I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to see if there's anything that God has for you guys. But um, so once you put your hand on your heart, and Holy Spirit, we love you so much, and it's our joy to be filled with faces, faces, faces. Here, I'll take that, Daniel. I was about to grab it. Thank you. Faces, faces, faces. God, just give us the faces of those we're called to. Give us a heart capacity where you expand our capacity to love right now. God, we believe that you want to create new territory of love and life. God, that you want to take nations that are completely destroyed, and you want to turn them around in our lifetime. Instead of seeing an undeveloped picture, God, we choose to see it as a Polaroid that's still developing. 
God, we pray that you would show us in love territories and people and mountaintops that we're supposed to influence and be involved with. Lord, take away anything, whether it's opinion or wrong convictions or wrong theology that would hinder us in love. Lord, we surrender. We surrender. We surrender to love. Lord, condition our hearts to love. You've loved us so well, let us love well. There's nothing better than when you show up and the person's already in your heart that you're meeting with. There's nothing better than when you show up and you go, this is the land I love the most. It's so easy. Lord, just let us love. Even if the land is hard, let us love. In Jesus' name.